when the pendulum swings, we get caught in it, regardless of what we feel. We are a part of this culture and we move through these stages and we become a product of what's happening around us. Truth. Think about that word for a minute, truth. Why has the word truth become such a polarizing word? How have we gotten to a point where truth has become so polarizing, so divisive, so disunifying, instead of truth being something that unites us and kind of calls us together? And as a, as a man, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who loves the Bible, who loves science, who loves unity among diverse people, I'm so concerned that truth has polarized us instead of uniting us. It causes me to wonder, how did we get to this point where we can debate what is true and what is not true on basic things? Like right now in the U.S. Hall Congress, they're debating what is and what isn't a woman. How did we get here? Let's talk about that. Have you seen this fun desktop toy, right? You see this around, it's called Newton's Cradle, and you've probably played with it before. But it's interesting to think about this and go, I might have an opinion or a feeling about what would happen when I raise this one ball up and I let it go. And my feeling about it matters, but it doesn't change what's actually gonna happen. So if I'm just sort of Joe Schmo Jersey science guy, the first time I did this, I would think that when I pull this one ball off and let it go, that the entire string of balls is going to move in a direction. But that's actually not what happens. When I move this one ball up, whoa, what's going on is it's transferring energy one ball to one ball to one ball to one ball instantly and pushing the other ball one up at the same, this is demonstrating, it's a Newton's cradle because it demonstrates laws of physics and laws are just truths. They're just things that are unchangeable. And so regardless about what I feel in this toy, what I think it will do, what I want it to do, what I hope it will do, doesn't change the fact that it does the conservation of energy. It, Newton just demonstrates that this is about energy being conserved, that energy is not created or destroyed, but it can be transferred from one thing to another in an equal amount of force. That's what it's demonstrating in this law. And it's just interesting to me that regardless of what I feel about this, whether I like this or I don't, I can't change the laws of physics. This will happen every time I do it. My feelings could change about it, my thoughts, my opinions, my hopes, my fears, all of it can change, but the truth doesn't change. When I lift up three balls, it's going to move three balls. When I lift up, it's like, it's just the way conservation of energy work, it can't be, it can't be created, it can't be destroyed, and it transfers it into one to another. It's kind of interesting to think about it also like a pendulum, like just how it swings back and forth. And in many ways, I think about truth that way, how truth pendulums, it feels like in our culture, back and forth. Truth can't be created, can't be destroyed, but it does swing back and forth and impact us in different kinds of ways. So when I look at our world, I think, how, how could we spend time as lawmakers, policymakers in our communities and in our state governments and in our federal government 
talking about things like gender. And it's like, we've had indisputable facts about gender, and now it's becoming something to debate back and forth when I can have lots of feelings about gender, just like I could have feelings about this. I could have hopes about gender, just like I could have hopes about this. But there's indisputable facts that have to do with chromosomes and biology and science at such an intricate level that comes through DNA that really questioning what is and what isn't a woman or what is or what isn't a man or who can or can't have a baby, how did we get to this point where, again, we could talk about our feelings about all these things, but it doesn't change the facts. It doesn't change what's true. Let's talk about our feelings. Let's talk about our hopes. Let's talk about our questions without debating what is law, what is true, what is a matter of science that's indisputable and has been for centuries. So how did we get to the point where we kind of dispute what is true and argue and be divided over what is true? And what can we do about this? How have we gotten to this point? And what can we do about it so that we can be a part of the solution, not a part of the noise and the problem? So, so for me, I have to try to understand how we got here before I can kind of think about how do we move forward. It's just the way my brain works. And so I kind of want to spend a few minutes with you looking culturally or as a society, what has happened societally or culturally that have gotten us to the point where truth is debatable and truth is sort of denied and or tried, we try to get around it or we try to suppress it, we try to silence it, we try to adapt it. How have we gotten to this point as a society culturally and then also answering the question, how do we get here theologically? What, like, what does the Bible say of how we got to this point? So for me, peeling back those layers and understanding how we got here helps me know how to move forward. So if you want to go on a journey with me about how do we got here culturally and how we're here theologically, uh, jump in with me. If you want to skip forward to what we talk about, what we do about it, you can do that too. So as we try to understand how we got to a point where truth divides us, I kind of start culturally. Let's look there. In much of human history, the emphasis of life has been survival. And even true today, that many people are just consistently, they're, they're not thinking about a lot of stuff. They're just basic human survival for centuries, right? And again, people today, where it's like, there's a fish, I need something to eat, I'm going to catch the fish, and I'm going to eat it. Fact, true. There's no debating it. It's like their lives are simple enough and survival enough that debating truth isn't something that's even thought about. And again, that's happening right now in lots of parts of the world. As societies become more sophisticated, these topics become things that come to the forefront. So I'm going to jump from survival to an age in society called the Enlightenment. Maybe you remember this from your history class. The Enlightenment is an interesting time in human history, 17, 18 hundreds or 17, 18 centuries. And they're trying to take uh, human existence out of superstition and mystery and darkness into something more rational, scientific, provable, logical. So the Enlightenment is this period of human history where we're, we're bringing science is coming to life and and logic is coming to life, and all this rationality, we're becoming enlightened. We're moving past the basic parts of humanity of surviving to a period of enlightenment. And the enlightenment gives birth to the Industrial Revolution, right? So we're, we're tar starting to make life 
uh, easier. And so we're, we're coming up with all kinds of ways to make life better for ourselves. Now we're enlightened. Now we're using mechanisms and systems and machines to bring about air conditioning and boats and coal mining and all this stuff. But with the Industrial Revolution comes all kinds of costs, too. So there's all these benefits of uh, all this good stuff, innovation, that's taking place as we're enlightened. But it's also bringing about smog and difficulty and workers' unions and the treatment of humans and how they work. And, and so among this Industrial Revolution part of our society, we move from this to modernism. Modernism. And modernism is trying to take our society and go, you know what, how we've lived for centuries is good and we need to innovate and have science and rationality. These are all good things, but we also have to bring back the beauty of art and music. And so we come into the 20th century into modernism and we've, we've learned a lot in the Enlightenment. We've learned a lot through science. We've made a lot of progress with industrial revolution and mechanizing things. We've also brought about some sort of dismal, difficult, harsh realities that modernism is trying to correct and say, no, we want to be rational, we want to be enlightened, but we also want to live beautiful lives where we respect one another and care for one another and there's arts and beauty, science and goodness of humanity is coming together. And in many ways, it's kind of like all of these moments are like pendulum swings. It's like there's something good about each of these parts of our lives. It's not saying that these are bad things, but when we, we pull the pendulum back and we let it go, it swings. And we go from a time in our lives where we're increasing science and rationality, but then we're missing beauty. So the pendulum swings to beauty and art, and then it swings back to industrial, and it's back and forth, back and forth. And when you're caught in these movements, back and forth, it's impacting you whether you know it or not. And so the next movement that is actually where we are today is the cultural movement called postmodernism. And postmodernism is super interesting. Where modernism is about seeking the truth and establishing the truth and celebrating beauty and noticing science Postmodern is skeptical of all of that. Postmodernism is more about cynicism. Is there truth? Maybe yes, maybe no. Are people really good and can bring about good things in our world? Maybe yes, maybe no. Modernists want to embrace science and rationality and beauty and art and human flourishing. Postmodernism starts to usher in this thinking of skeptical about whether that's true or not true. And you know when the beginning of postmodernism was in Western culture, specifically in America? It was actually in the 60s and the 70s, and you'll remember it. It's the sexual revolution. I mean, what happened in the sexual revolution of the 60s and the 70s? All these ages of humanity, noticing sexuality fits within a certain confine, a certain law, a certain a set of truths. But as we move culturally through some of these things, People could debate what sex was for and what it wasn't for, but through most of these movements of history, it was understood that sex had a purpose and a place. And if you were gonna live outside of that purpose and that place, you could do that, but it didn't change the purpose and the place. But when we move into the sexual revolution, it's more like, who are you to say what sex is for, who I can have sex with, and who I can't have sex with? 
And the sexual revolution births this notion in our culture that it's like, I'm kind of skeptical whether there is or isn't an absolute standard, an absolute truth. I'm not sure there is, I'm not sure there isn't, but coming out of this postmodern beginning in the 60s and 70s of the sexual revolution leads us to where we are today, where not only in a sexual realm are we skeptical and we're not sure there is a purpose for anything and we can kind of do what we want in our sexual lives, now that's true in every aspect of our lives. So what started in the 60s and 70s postmodernism as a sexual revolution has become a complete revolution of all things true skeptical about whether there is or there isn't. And remember, I'm not saying that each of these things don't have blessings and difficulties that come with them. I'm not saying these are right or wrong, good or bad. It's just the journey culturally that we've come from and also the impact that it has on all of us, whether we realize that or not. Because when the pendulum swings, we get caught in it regardless of what we feel. We are a part of this culture and we move through these stages and we become a product of what's happening around us. I mean, what do I know culturally? This is just my quick and dirty take on it. Love for your comments to hit and we'd love to hear what you're thinking about this, but how do we get here culturally? And as you go through these series of time in human history, you see how it positions us to be at a place culturally where we're skeptical and cynical about any sort of absolute truth that governs any part of our lives. It opened the door through the sexual revolution and now the door's wide open in every aspect. Let's take a look at theologically. So if we're gonna to transfer to theologically, how does this happen theologically? And how do we understand this theologically? And so I think the easiest place to go to in our Bibles to understand it theologically is actually Romans chapter one, and I'll, and I'll read some of it to you that helps me understand how we got to a point as a society where we don't believe in absolute truth. Romans chapter one, verse 18 says, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that no one is without excuse. Although God, they knew God, they neither glorified God or gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal humans beings, birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity, the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And this is describing all of us. This is describing the entire human race as we kind of work through a history of humanity. Every history, every moment, every person, me included, falls into this is God's description. And and what he uses as a line that's super helpful to me when it comes to trying to understand this and explain this, he says, what we do theologically is we suppress truth. What does that mean? It means like we, we kind of stick it down. We push it down. We go, I don't want truth. I suppress it. I go, I don't like it. I don't like what I'm hearing. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't want to understand it. I don't want to agree with it. I don't want to like it. And therefore I suppress it. I push it down. What does this look like sort of in a 
real life world. So we're here uh, in sort of Lent season. So I wanna use an example of what this looks like practically by looking at the last moments of Jesus's life. Interesting enough, you know, in the life of Christ, he gets accused of things against the Jewish law. And so the Jewish leadership brings Jesus to Pilate, who is a Roman official, and they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. And they bring him to Pilate, and Pilate's like, what do you want me to do with this guy? He hasn't done anything wrong. And they're like, he's violated our Jewish laws, but we can't keep him accountable. You as the Roman government can. And he starts, Pilate starts to interview Jesus. And he starts asking Jesus questions. And Jesus answers questions to him with truth. And it's so interesting. At one point, Jesus says to him, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Bold statement. And Pilate answers, what is truth? Interesting. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and gathered them together and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. So he's questioning the truth and he's going, okay, I'm here to, as the governor, trying to decide what is true or false about this Jesus. Jesus is like, well, I'm telling you the truth. And if you understand the truth, you'll recognize this. Pilate goes, what's the truth? But as he interviews him multiple times through the trial of Jesus, he, he looks at Jesus and goes, there's nothing I can find against him. Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let him know that I find no basis to charge Jesus for anything. And Pilate multiple times in John 19 goes, there's nothing wrong with this dude. And yet you want me to crucify him. And so Pilate intrinsically knows there is no reason for Jesus to die. And yet he suppresses that truth and he sentenced Jesus to death. What is that? That is what we do as humans. When I don't want the truth, when I don't want to see the truth, when I don't want to believe the truth, when believing the truth and following the truth changes what I think or it goes up against what I feel, I'll do anything to push it down to suppress it. So in Pilate's mind, popularity was more important than the life of Jesus. Truth was secondary to being liked or approved or having power. And so he pushed the truth down so that he suppressed the truth so that he could get what he wanted, which he felt was more important than the truth. And we all do the exact same thing. So let me give you an example, sort of modern example of how this works in suppression of truth with a pretty controversial topic. So think of the, the topic of abortion and thinking about suppression of truth. So here's what happens in the topic of abortion. You have a woman who has personal choices. And that individual woman, the truth is, she is a real person with a story, with a lifestyle, with circumstances that are true. She is a person with personal choice that should be cared about, loved, respected. That sits side by side with a baby in a womb that modern science can show us is a life. Like scientifically, we can see a heartbeat, we can see it grow, we can see all the features of a human inside this woman. That is true, that is a baby, that is a life. These two truths sit side by side together. This woman is a person with a story who has rights and we should care and love her and want what's best for her. And this child inside her is a life that's made in the image of God. 
And these truths sit side by side. And what we do as humans is we try to suppress one of these truths. And we decide in our minds, no, the woman's right doesn't matter. And so we push that truth down and make it all about the life of an unborn baby. And we disregard this woman, this person, who is also created in the image of God. We suppress that truth to promote this truth. Or we do the opposite. We say, well, forget about this life growing inside of her. This woman has rights, and her life and her rights are more important than this life. And so we have to promote this by suppressing the truth that that's a baby. And my argument to you is these two things are both true. This baby inside is a life that deserves to live and to breathe and is created in the image of God. And this woman is a life to be respected and loved. And on one level, I can have all kinds of feelings about these two truths, but I can't deny that they're both true. When we get to the point where we suppress these truths, that's where the tension and the disunity comes. But instead going, no, as a society, we have to look at both of these things to be true. Now what do we do? But we can't deny that both are lives created in the image of God, and we can't disregard either of their lives to suppress either of those truths in order to move forward. We have to look at both of them and say, they're both lives that need to be cared for. Now what do we do about this? It's really interesting because in Romans chapter 1, it tells us what God does. It says to us in Romans chapter 1 that what God does is when we suppress the truth, he gives us over. He gives us over. It says multiple times, God gave them over to their sinful desires. God gave them over to their shameful lusts. So what he says is, you want to suppress the truth? I'll allow you to suppress the truth. When you suppress the truth, all kinds of chaos and pain. And so you think about the abortion issue of women's right to choose and a life of an unborn child. You think about an immigration issue where there's all kinds of consequences and problems with people coming in and going out and tension. That's all kinds of societal issues that are happening because of immigration of people that aren't coming legally. All these problems because God's like, if you want to suppress the truth, go ahead. I'll allow you to do that. And all kinds of chaos and pain is going to come because you have suppressed the truth. And this theologically answers the question for all of us. How do we get here? Every single one of us, when it doesn't serve us, we suppress the truth. So all of us suppress the truth when it doesn't serve our desires, our hopes, our feelings. And in the context of Romans 1, he brings up the specific way that we suppress the truth regarding sexuality. And it's interesting, when you look at the facts, the truth about sexuality, is the purpose of sexuality across all time and place and across the entire animal kingdom is for the purpose of reproduction. The byproduct of our sexuality is intimacy and the feelings that come. That's the byproduct, but the design biologically in every way is to reproduce. So when we suppress the design, the truth about reproduction, and we make it about the byproduct of feelings and intimacy, we get ourselves all kinds of way confused and bring about all kinds of pain and distortion and confusion in our society. And this is what we've done. If I don't agree with the truth, if I don't um, want to deal with the truth, if I have a variety of feelings about the truth, we can talk about that. 
but that's different than suppressing the truth. Another simple Jersey Joe example about how we all suppress the truth. Imagine someone, a, a woman is born ethnically Chinese and her parents choose to raise her in Paris. And her first language is French and she grows up in a French culture and she feels completely French. That is her feeling and her experience, but it doesn't change the fact that she's ethnically Chinese. And the more she tries to force the point that she's really French, the more foolish she looks and the more confusion she brings. She can feel French. She can talk French. She can love baguettes and cheese and wine, but it doesn't change the truth that she's ethnically Chinese who loves, she's an ethnically Chinese woman who loves French culture, French people, French language. It, it doesn't change the facts though. And so for all of us, what happens is we think by suppressing the truth, it's a path to freedom. We think it's a path to life. It's a path to goodness, but it's actually a form of denial of reality. And it brings about foolishness in our own lives and it causes greater confusion in all of society. So how do we get here? How do we get to the point where we start to divide on the truth, where we bend the truth, where we don't have universal or absolute truth? We talked about it culturally, we've kind of talked about it theologically. So what do we do? And you kind of look at it, we wanna be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. So when you peel back the layers of all this, what do we do? And I think a lot of it for me personally is I want to be someone who loves and seeks the truth. I want to be someone who, like 1 Corinthians 13 says, that love does not delight in evil, but seeks the truth. Like that is the most loving thing we can do in our own lives and with the lives of the people around us to be people who love and seek the truth. So whatever topic you're looking at or thinking about, how do you find out what is true? And when the truth surfaces, how do you not, second point, fall into the tendency of suppressing that truth, right? And so the truth emerges. You seek the truth. You want to be someone who loves the truth. And so you seek it. And, and if you're someone who believes in God, God will lead you, he promises, into the truth. He wants to guide you into the truth. And so his spirit will do that and the Bible will do that. He'll guide each of us into the truth. So you seek it and you love it and you sort of look for it. And as you begin to see it, there are ways we all have the tendency to suppress it. Why? Because it doesn't serve what we want, right? It, 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 it's not what we're feeling. It's not what we're hoped for. It's not what we desire. It's not what we thought our lives would become. It's all this intersection of what we don't want or what we don't, or we're afraid of, or all these different things. But it's like, okay, my tendency, your tendency, is when we see certain truths to suppress it, right? And so when someone tells you something you don't want to hear, what do you do? You get defensive. That's suppressing the truth. That's pushing down the truth. Instead of saying, I don't want to hear the truth. I don't like what you're saying, but it is the truth. And so God help me not to suppress the truth. As you recognize your tendency, to suppress the truth, and that's for all of us, it is okay to be honest about your feelings, right? Feelings aren't right or wrong. Feelings are what you feel. 
and for you to feel something about a truth is important to acknowledge that you have a feeling, acknowledge that it runs up against what you were hoping for, to be able to verbalize that, talk about that, acknowledge that, even grieve that is really important to be honest about what you feel. It's not saying that what is true isn't true. That's a problem. But if you recognize what is true is true and you have an honest feeling about it, there's something so healthy about being honest before God and with people around you because that sort of starts to take a step to how do you begin to yield to the truth? Because here's the deal. As we yield to the truth, there's freedom to that. And so yielding to the truth is another just practical thing that there's a time and a place where I can't keep fighting what is true. That's just foolishness. That's chaos. That's craziness. And so how do I yield to what is true? And so as followers of Christ, we believe God is true. Jesus is the way, the truth. He made us. He knows us. And so when he gives us a truth, it's for our good. And so when I realize by the character of God, he is true and he has good things for me, that when I yield to him, good things will come of my life. Instead of fighting what is true, I'm going to yield to it. I mean, think of an 18-wheeler coming on a highway. Are you going to yield to it? Or are you going to try to beat it or fight it? Who's going to win? I mean, the God of the universe who is all truth and he loves you and he designed you and he knows you Yield to his truth and good things happen. Safety happens. Beauty happens. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But as you love the truth and seek the truth, realize that you're quick to suppress the truth, but you're honest about that feeling and you yield to God and his truth, you're going to find freedom. It is the truth that will set you free. I think all of us want to know what's true about our bodies And if we went to the doctor and found out the hard diagnosis, cancer, that's true. Like if a doctor shows us empirical facts about the fact that there's cancer inside us, we can't suppress that truth. People try to, and that's just foolishness. But when I look at the diagnosis of cancer, I don't have to like the diagnosis. It makes me feel angry and sad and grief. The reality of how I feel about the diagnosis is all true. It doesn't change the diagnosis that I have cancer. But when I acknowledge the fact that I have cancer, there's multiple paths I might choose to go forward. And all of those paths are going to be hard. Doesn't change the hardness of the path forward. But the freedom isn't found in denying the diagnosis. The freedom is embrace the truth and now pick your path forward. The path's going to be hard. It's going to require difficult decisions. Whatever path you pick, it's embracing the truth and not suppressing it. So I go back to this, this, little, this little analogy, like energy can't be created or destroyed and truth can't be created or destroyed either. And when the truth kind of smacks up against me, it impacts me. I'm going to be changed by it. I can't deny it. It's fact. It's real. Stop trying to suppress it. Embrace it. But I also want you to notice that, again, all the cultural influences of survival and postmodernism and modernism and enlightenment and all the things swirling around our culture, they are knocking up against all of us and impacting all of us, whether we realize it or not. 
We live in the world. The world and its philosophies and thinking and ways of seeing things impact all of us whether we recognize it or not. And so one of the things you do about sort of what's going on in the world of truth today is recognizing that you're being impacted by things that are not true and are not right. And it's rubbing up against you. You are being impacted whether you like it or not. And so you don't have to be afraid of that, but you have to be aware of it, that you're not outside the impact of our society working all along. And the, and the, and the reality is you don't retreat from that. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't live separate lives as followers of Christ. We're here, but we have to recognize the impact of all of these cultural nuances on us and our children and be able to recognize what is true and sort of speak up about it in gracious, loving ways. Here's the last thing I would say about what we do with truth is that we should be sober about the results of what's happening in our culture when we suppress the truth as a society. As individuals in society, when we suppress it, the Bible has a lot to say about what happens. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 says, but because of your stubbornness, and he's talking to us individually, but also collectively, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you, you've been suppressing the truth. You're storing up for yourself wrath on the day of judgment. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject, his specific line is, those who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, who suppresses the truth, replaces it for lies, and pursues evil. There will be distress. He says, for God does not show favoritism. Like there's the way he set up this society where this world where he gives us choices about what is true and says, I am the truth and I have know you and I made you. But if you continually suppress the truth, first Timothy says it can sear your conscience. It could take your heart and make it hard and make it un sort of malleable. It has this way of where you continually push the truth out of your life. It has the way of making you hard hearted. And the Bible warns that if that hard-heartedness causes you to live a life that's a life of lies and evil and foolishness, there's going to be consequences about that for you individually, but also for us as a society. I think of Isaiah saying, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah is warning us that the God of all truth, when we consistently as a humanity replace good with evil and darkness for light, there's a sobriety to that where the God of light and truth someday is going to make all things right. And so he's handing us what we ask for. If we want to live our lives suppressing the truth, it's going to bring pain and chaos. It's doing that in our society today. But if we want to live in light and love, my friends, embrace the truth. Don't ignore it. Don't suppress it. Don't try to remake it. Don't tweak it. Don't modify it. Don't sidestep it. What is true is true. It's fact. It's unchanging. 
and it is the pathway to freedom and joy. So be individuals who seek the truth and don't avoid it, who love the truth and don't stifle it. And that's the path of freedom for us as individuals. And I think it's the path of freedom for our society. This societal issue is not gonna be fixed politically. It's not gonna be fixed with laws. It's gonna be fixed as us individually recognizing, embracing truth and seeing this truth is what sets us individually free and it's truth that will set us collectively free. Thanks for watching.